So we are going to talk about wisdom today as we continue talking about what does it mean to walk with Jesus in this new year. And as I was thinking about wisdom, I wondered how many of you remember the days when uh, people would walk by selling encyclopedias. Do you remember that? When people, how many of you remember that, right? And so, and you needed to buy those because that was the way that you gained that information, right? Like that was the way to do it. Or how many of you remember the days of card catalogs? Do you remember those, right? Like you actually had to go to a library and not type something into the computer, but they would have like just stacks and stacks of these card catalogs and you pull out the drawers and look through them. And some of our youth who are sitting in here right now are like, what are those? Like those are archaic. You actually had to use something like that? Yes, we did. And it made us stronger in the long run because it took a lot of time, energy, and effort behind it, right? Like, like, cause today you don't need those things. Like if you want something, all you need is that, right? Like you just Google something or Alexa or, or man, the days of where our youth can just hold these and they have everything that they need at their fingertips, right? Like any piece of knowledge that they want, all they have to do is something like, hey Siri, who won the Chiefs game last night? The Chiefs soundly defeated the Colts in the AFC Divisional Playoff by a score of 31-13 to 13 yesterday. Right? Like, that's all you have to do nowadays. What is 236 times 375? That would be 88,500. Right? Like, hey Siri, do my homework, right? Like, that's all you need nowadays, and Siri can do all your homework. And there are so many things that uh, we go and we turn to to gain this kind of knowledge or information. And some of you turn on CNN, some of you turn on Fox News, some of you turn on whatever your favorite news reporting station is, or you look to the newspaper, or you turn to your friends, or you turn to your favorite political person that you like to listen to, or, or whoever that is. But while we can have all the information at our fingertips, there is one thing that that will not always help us with, right? Hey Siri, should I buy a new car? Joel, I'm not sure what to say. Should I go on vacation? I can't answer that. Hmm. Do you notice the difference between those two sets of questions? Did you catch the difference there? The first set of questions, what was I looking for? Facts, information, knowledge. The second set of questions, what, I, what was I looking for? Decisions. I was asking if I should do something or what I should do. I was asking for someone to help me to make a decision for my life. Isn't it interesting today? There are a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of information and have no clue how to use it. There are so many people who have so much in their hands, in their phones, and yet when it comes to their day-to-day -day life, they have absolutely no understanding of how to take their information and turn it into application. And you look at people and go, why in the world would you make that decision? Why would you do that? Where is this coming from? And that's the question of wisdom, isn't it? How do you take information to application? That is an act of wisdom. 
And as we talk about wisdom today, and not only are we going to talk about how is that possible and, and how does God grant us wisdom, but isn't it interesting that somebody, there's a person, and, and two people can look at that same person and have a very different view of that person, right? One person can look at them and go, man, that person is a fool. And another person can go, man, that person is really wise. If you don't believe me on that, just follow politics, right? I mean, that's our world today. So the question I want us to talk about is what does it mean to have true godly wisdom that helps to lead us to walk with him in this new year? And to do that, we're going to look at the story, uh, the, the historical account of Solomon and what God did in Solomon's life. So if you would open up in your Bibles, if you pull out the Bibles in front of you, it's page 282, or if your Bible from home or a Bible app, to 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings 3, starting in verse 3. As we talk about this, understand that Solomon is the son of David, and David has just died. And, and most people are familiar with King David because King David was viewed as the greatest king of Israel, although David did not have the richest or the most expansive kingdom of Israel. That was actually left to Solomon. Solomon had greater riches, and when God promised uh, to, to Abraham that your kingdom, the promised land, would extend from the great river of, of Egypt, the Nile, all the way to the Euphrates. That was really only realized under Solomon. And so Solomon, the one who had the greatest kingdom size-wise and riches-wise, we find out what happens to him when he first comes to the throne in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Follow along. So Solomon loved the Lord. Now, if we would just stop there... We, wouldn't that just be a great statement about Solomon in itself? I mean, imagine if at your funeral or in a narrative that was written about you after you were gone, all they said about you was that you loved the Lord. Would anything else need to be known at that point? Not really, right? Like, isn't that the greatest statement anyone could ever say about you? And that's what it says about Solomon. It said, Solomon loved the Lord. He was walking in the statutes of David, his father. In fact, every king that comes after Solomon is really compared to David. Every single one of them. That this king, he had a heart after David. He had a heart like David's because David was always talked about being having a heart that followed the Lord. Or kings who turned away from the Lord and did their own thing didn't walk in the way of David. So it says he walked in the statutes of his father David only, right, and here's kind of this, this qualifying statement, he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now, it doesn't say he made offerings to pagan gods, but what he's doing is he is going to local shrines, local altars, to pagan deities, to, to other gods, and he's offering sacrifices. Now, in the text, we believe he was probably still offering those sacrifices to the Lord. But if you read Exodus and you read Judges and you read uh, at the beginning of 1 Kings before this, and if you read in First and Second Samuel, that these kings were constantly told that you need to tear down the high places, destroy the high places, because these high places represent shrines to false gods. 
So Solomon, it says, followed God, loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of David, but he still offered sacrifices at high places instead of tearing them down. This is going to be very significant when we get a little bit further in this text. So just hold on to that and remember where Solomon starts. So he's offering these high, uh, sacrifices at the high places, and verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Imagine if God came to you and said that. God came into you a dream tonight and he says, says, ask what I shall give you and it's yours. Anything you want. What would you ask for? If God offered you anything, what, how would you respond to that? Would you ask for a new job? Would you ask for a promotion? Would you ask for greater health? Would you ask for a relationship to turn into a marriage or for some healing to come between you and your spouse or you and your children? What would you ask for if God came to you with that request? This is a very significant, life-altering request. I know how many of you are familiar with Greek mythology, but if you're familiar with Greek mythology and the Trojan War, uh, actually uh, in some of the history, the stories of how the Trojan War happened, that uh, request was actually the start of the Trojan War. Uh, one of the stories is told that there were three goddesses who were arguing among themselves about who had the most or the greatest favor. And so there was either one story says a trickster god or one story says Zeus who came and said, well, we can solve this. Here's a golden apple. And you're going to take this golden apple and offer it to Paris. And then Paris will offer it. He'll offer it back to one of you three who has the greatest favor. And so they, they went to him so that they could have the greatest favor before Zeus, before the gods. And so, so they said, Paris, if you choose me, one of the goddesses said, I will give you great riches. Another one said, if you choose me, I will give you great power and you will never lose a battle. And then Aphrodite came and says, well, if you choose me, I will give you the most beautiful woman in the world is the love of your life. And Paris took that golden apple and gave it to Aphrodite. And so Paris received uh, the love of his life, the most beautiful woman in the world who was married to another king. And that king got upset and all of a sudden the Trojan War broke out. That's how Paris answered it. I want love. How would you respond? What's your answer? We know what Solomon's answer was because it says it, right? It says here, and so Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your, to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love you have given him a son to sit on his throne. So you notice what Solomon's doing here? He's kind of name dropping, isn't he? Right? He's like, do you remember David, my father? Remember how you loved him? Remember how he was upright? Remember everything he did? So he's kind of appealing to David. In the midst of all you've done for David, in the midst of who he is, uh, here is my great request that I'm going to ask of you. It says, and now, O Lord, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. Now, it wasn't believed he was a little child, but what he's saying there is he's saying, I don't have a lot of knowledge and I have very little experience. So in the midst of not having this experience, here's my request. I don't know how to go out or come in. 
And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? What does he ask for? Wisdom, doesn't he? He says, grant to me a discerning mind to understand good and evil. Because you know what Solomon understood is, is Solomon understood that this task was too great for him, that he had been given something that was greater than he could handle. And I know we've said this before, but this is a continuing reminder to us that, that while there are Christians who are well-meaning Christians who will offer us this wonderful sentiment of, well, you know what, God will never give you more than you can handle. Solomon understood that there are times where we certainly have more than we could ever handle. And Solomon understood, he goes, this is too much for me. This is too great. This is too much. This is a greater burden than I could ever handle. There's only one way I can do this, and that is if you, God, grant to me wisdom, a discerning mind to understand good from evil so I can govern your people. And isn't it interesting the where and why Solomon asks this? Notice who he is focused on, and notice who he really is not focused on. This really isn't about Solomon, is it? He says, the reason I want this discerning mind, it's really not about me. It's, it's about governing your people, the people that you have given me. It's not a selfish request. It's a selfless request for the sake of God's people. You know, that's what wisdom is, godly wisdom. It's not something that's for us, but it's something that God gives us so that we can use that for the sake of other people, so we can use it for our children, so we can use it for our marriage, so we can use it in our workplaces, so that we can use it with our neighbors and our church. God gives us this godly wisdom, not just for our sake, but for the sake of caring for others. But it's a godly wisdom. Because if Solomon wanted a worldly wisdom, there were certainly people he could have turned to. He could have turned to some of David's advisors, some of David's rulers, David's generals. In fact, we hear about David's generals in, in a chapter right before this and what happened in, in an episode between them. There were other places that David could have gone to for worldly wisdom, but they, or, or Solomon could have. But Solomon says, I don't want worldly wisdom. I need godly wisdom. In fact, Paul talks about how significantly important this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Could you read these words with me this morning? Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. That's hard to stomach, isn't it, sometimes? That you and I need to become fools? Because nobody wants to be called a fool, do they? And yet, what Paul is saying and what God is reminding us is this, is that you can't pour more water into a full cup. Right? Like, have you ever met somebody who thinks that they know everything while you're trying to teach them something? Because you can't pour more knowledge into somebody who already believes that they know everything that they need to know. It just doesn't work, does it? And so what Paul is saying here is, is you and I, we need to empty ourselves. We need to give up this notion that, that on our own and in our own understanding and wisdom and experience, we have everything that we need in ourselves. 
He's saying you need to empty yourselves so that God can pour into you the wisdom and the understanding, the knowledge and the experience that can only come from him. You need to become fools to this world so that you can become wise. In fact, that's what many people would say about what we believe. You believe in creation versus evolution? Well, that's foolishness. Well, uh, maybe according to the wisdom of this world, but we don't live according to the wisdom of this world. We live according to the wisdom of God. To believe that somebody was raised from the dead, well, that's foolishness. Who could be raised from the dead? Well, yeah, according to the wisdom of this world, but not according to the wisdom of God. And we need to empty ourselves of the wisdom of this world so that we can be filled with the wisdom of God and allow that to direct us in this new year as we walk along the path that God has given to us. In this act, if you read further, so pleased God that it said that, that when God responded, he says, not only am I going to give you this, but, but I will give you wisdom, I will give you riches, I will give you your enemies, I will give you long life, I will give you so much more because you have made this request. God was pleased with what he asked for. You know what the struggle is, though, when we ask for godly wisdom? Godly wisdom might not align with your desires. Godly wisdom might not make the same decisions as the worldly wisdom that allows you to get where you want to go. Because there are times where we want to be filled with worldly wisdom that allows us to get the next promotion and the next job and, and, and gain more popularity and gain more prestige and, and be loved more and cared for more and, 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 and greater advantage in this world. And God says to us, but my concern is not for this world, but for the one to come. He says, you need to empty yourself of yourself so you can be filled up with what God has for you so your life is not aligned with your desires, but your life might be aligned with God's will. And then God reminds us where that wisdom comes from. In fact, we hear it in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs written pretty much almost the whole thing by, by Solomon. Or we hear it in the Psalms where we are reminded that where does wisdom come from? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? That word fear, it doesn't mean this like horrifying terror, but it can mean an awe, a great love for, a respect or an honor. What it's saying is if you want wisdom, then you have to act in fear for God with nothing to fear. You know, that's what it means to fear the Lord. It means to act in fear, knowing that you have nothing to fear. And the reason you and I have nothing to fear when we act in the fear of the Lord, it's because of this, that we understand that our God is a God who is filled with steadfast love for us. Right? He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He is a God who punishes the sins of the father to the children, to the third and fourth generation, but shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and are called according to his commands and according to his grace. Like, like you and I have nothing to fear because even when we act in godly wisdom but then we stray from that path because of our sin and brokenness that God is a heavenly father who loves us out of his grace and mercy restores us out of his grace, forgiveness, his steadfast love for you and for me. In fact, what this is oftentimes like is how parents are called to parent their children, is it not? Like, like there is a healthy fear that children should have for their parents. There is a healthy fear. 
Not a fear, as we'll see in a couple minutes, as, as if like I'm a parent who, who seeks what is worst for my children, or, or I just want to punish them or, or hurt them. But there is a, a good fear by which we offer correction and discipline to our children because we do that out of grace and love so that in experience, the next time, they might make the better choice. Or they might act in that honor and respect of mom and dad. And mom and dad act in correction and grace for our children because we know our children do not always make the best decisions. Neither do we. And so we need that same correction and we need to offer that correction to others. We act in fear knowing that there is nothing to fear. And when we do that, God leads us to a very different place than where we started. Do you know that's what happened to Solomon? In fact, here's the end of this text, verse 15. It says, And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he made a feast for all his servants. Where did Solomon start? You remember? It was in Gibeon, wasn't it? He started at a high place where he should not have been. And after being granted this great wisdom, where does Solomon end up? Jerusalem, the house of the Lord. God led Solomon by his wisdom from where he was to where God wanted him to be. And you know that's what God does for you and for me when he grants us wisdom? He leads us from where we want to be to where he wants us to be by his grace. That's what wisdom does. So how do we gain that wisdom? Well, there are three things that we see about, right? The first one is godly experience. It was Solomon said, right? Like, I'm but a child. I don't have this experience. So God says, I will give you that. And so we gain it from understanding godly experiences that are in our life. And we grow from that and we mature from that. The second one we talked about is the fear of the Lord. But the third one is we understand it by godly knowledge. And that comes from God's word, which is why we continually encourage you to get back into God's word. Spend time in God's Word. Read God's Word. Join a Bible study. Be a part of a small group. Spend time daily. It's, if it's in a verse or two verses or in a chapter or a section of Scripture, just spend time every day in God's Word. If you want to get healthier, you spend more time in the gym, right? And if you want to get spiritually healthier, you spend more time in God's Word. And that's where godly wisdom comes from. In fact, my encouragement to you and maybe my challenge to you is this, is over this next month or two months, spend time reading just the book of Proverbs and learn from God's wisdom. There's so much that God offers us in the book of Proverbs. I just want to share a couple verses with you. Proverbs 15, 17, it says, Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better to be a vegetarian and have people's favor than to have a barbecue and have great fighting, right? Second one. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Not even going to comment, just leaving that up there. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 17. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a, full, uh, than a house full of feasting with strife. Isn't that true? Isn't it better to have a peaceful home than to have lots of food in it? How oh, this one? Discipline your son for there is hope. But do not set your heart on putting them to death. I talked about that before, that our children need godly discipline, but not to the point uh, of seeking their demise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So are you listening to other people? Or are you walking your own way? 
A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And how many people would rather run after riches today than to have healthy relationships only to look back with a house filled with stuff and realize they're all by themselves? Or these last three. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And the question there is, are you surrounding yourself with the right people? Or how about this? Are you allowing your children to be surrounded with the right people? Are you allowing your children to be surrounded by a bunch of fools who are leading them the wrong way or with wise people who are leading them on the path of righteousness? Proverbs 21, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Or Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Just wonderful pieces of godly wisdom spoken into our life to remind us of what it means to walk with wisdom each and every day. And my encouragement is, again, spend time in God's word because God seeks to lead you according to experience, the fear of the Lord, and God's word. And then ask this question, because I believe this is the question that wisdom asks. The question of wisdom is, what is the most God-honoring decision I can make? When it comes to my children, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to how I am a boss or an employee in my workplace, when it comes to my finances and how I spend my money, when it comes to what I'm about to post on Facebook or the email I'm about to send out hastily in anger, when it comes to how I treat my neighbor, when it comes to my job decisions, what is the most God-honoring decision I can make? Not me honoring, but God-honoring. Because that's the question that wisdom asks. Because when you ask this question, you don't end up where you want to go. But just like Solomon, you end up where God wants you to be. Because godly wisdom, it begins with the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grant to us wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but a godly wisdom that comes from asking what is the most God-honoring decision that I can make? Lord, and when we pray for that, when we ask that, we pray that you would give us that wisdom and direction just as you did Solomon so that we might walk in the path of faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his everlasting peace. Amen. Please stand for a closing song.